Welcome back once again. It's the Kyle Style Podcast. A very uh, a historic person of note died recently. Nope, I'm not, I don't mean Florence Henderson. And I don't mean Fidel Castro. Although, the Castro saga could probably be its own podcast. I'm talking about former Attorney General Janet Reno. Janet Reno uh, passed away on November 7th, 2016 from uh, Parkinson's, originally diagnosed in 1995. She was 78 years old. She was the first female Attorney General of the United States and served from uh, March 11th, 1993 until 2001. There are many who do not mourn her passing, however. Uh, Her term as Attorney General is connected to, well... The incident at Ruby Ridge, the siege at Waco, and the Oklahoma City bombing. And it's tricky to, you know, it's it's tricky to parse because, you know, she took she took office or took her position March 11th after the, uh, you know, which was after the Waco siege began. But we have to dive back in time here a little bit to uh, sort this thing out because it's kind of a mess, this whole Waco thing. And you're like, Kyle, you're doing a Waco episode? Yep, doing a Waco episode. So before we dive in, you should head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle style design and pick up some of my original artwork on mugs and shirts and prints and uh, be looking stylish and have some original artwork in your life. And I get a portion of the proceeds. Or you head over to uh, the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple dollars because I'm supported by viewers like you or Listeners like you, I suppose. And I appreciate your contributions. So, beginning February 28th of 1993 until April 19th of 1993, 82 Branch Davidians and four ATF agents lost their lives. And if you are unfamiliar with the whole series of events and and the whole context of the the Waco siege. I've got a playlist put together of some different documentaries and things that I think demonstrate different uh, perspectives on these events. And uh, I encourage you to check out the blog post and uh, view view some of those videos. Some of them are rather long, but I think this is important. So... There, there's a, a narrative about Waco that it is kind of just a continuation or it's the same thing as um, Jonestown, which you go back to Kyle Style podcast episode, uh, I think it was number nine, uh, I, I covered Jonestown and the, the death tape and everything else, and people compared the, you know, Waco... Uh, the disaster standoff to, uh, you know, Jonestown or Heaven's Gate, that kind of thing. And I feel like growing up, you know, in the early 90s, I remember the sort of iconic imagery of the Waco siege. And it's only later on, kind of as an adult, I guess, that I've figured out why it is that it was so interesting to people or why it was noteworthy and that the 
there are certain narratives about it that aren't true and some that I, I just don't think are reliable. It's, it's hard to sort this thing out. So let's lay out a little bit of what actually transpired back in 1993, 23 years ago. Oh, my God. So, February uh, 28th, 1993, uh, about 70 ATF agents were piled into horse trailers towed by uh, pickup trucks. They pulled up in front of the Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel uh, compound of the Seventh-day Adventist branch of the uh, they, they're called Branch Davidians. And they exchanged words with David Koresh, the leader of the Branch Davidians, at the front door of the house. Him and uh, another uh, Davidian, they were there, they were unarmed. And this is a, it's another one of those classic cases of no one knows who fired the first shot, but uh, the ATF agents opened fire. They injured David Koresh and killed the other uh, member of the Davidians. They retreated inside and closed the front doors, and a shootout began. 45 minutes of gunfire was exchanged. Uh, ag- agents attempted to rush the house. They shot, their, they shot the dogs. They used ladders and climbed up on the roof. They tried to break into an upper room. They were met with return fire, and the agents fled from the the upper the upper roof there. And this uh, gun battle continued for forty five minutes, and six Davidians were killed. Four t- four ATF agents were killed, and sixteen were wounded. The ATF agents were forced to withdraw after 45 minutes of exchanging gunfire with the Branch Davidians because they were out of ammo. They were out of bullets. Now the ATF, or, or the Branch Davidians, allowed them to retreat and take their wounded and their dead. And this then led to a 51-day siege of this compound. Now, due to the exchange of gunfire, things escalated. Uh, the FBI got involved because federal agents had been killed, etc. And Bradley fighting vehicles, like armored tanks, were brought in. There were, you know, helicopters. There had been helicopters involved in the initial raid, but, you know, more helicopters and more personnel were brought in. FBI, uh, sharpshooters, and as well as uh, military consultants. And the uh, the Branch Davidians were something of an apocalyptic cult in their own right. They uh, possessed over 300 guns. They had plenty of ammunition and enough supplies to last a year. During the course of this uh, 51-day siege, the you know power and water were cut off. They were the, the Davidians were living off rainwater and uh, MREs. The uh, FBI engaged in a kind of psychological warfare. They pointed loudspeakers at the building and uh, shined spotlights inside and or, you know, were attempting to kind of spook them out. And things kind of escalated along this line until uh, April 19th, 1993. 
Bradley fighting vehicles in an attempt to break the siege, uh, punctured holes in the walls of the compound and began pumping in uh, tear gas, CS gas. And this was meant to make everybody come out, but they, well, they didn't. Uh, it's it's alleged, or at least partially what happened is that it seems the Branch Davidians had dumped or put accelerant, uh, you know, hay and fuel and gasoline, that kind of thing, around the compound, inside the compounds, to start a fire. There's audio tape of them talking about this from a bug that had been slipped into the compound, and a a conflagration consumed the compound. Uh, there were there was a, a breeze or a wind that day that helped speed the fire through, and it. Uh, some say that it was accelerated by the CS gas, which I guess is flammable, and the whole structure was consumed. 76 were killed. 24 children, including two that were unborn. There were 48 Americans, 22 Britons, three Australians, two New Zealanders, two Filipinos, two Canadians, and one Israeli. These were foreign nationals. There were many races, white, black, Samoan, Asian, you know, Filipino, Mexican. There were multiple congressional investigations as a result of this uh, debacle. And this is where these narratives, again, start to rear their ugly head and they start to break down a little bit. So the claims of pedophilia uh, leveled at David Koresh and amongst the Davidians. There's alleged torture of Davidians who were arrested and conspiracy theories abound uh, uh, about government intentions and their conduct. And there's even claims that, like, Delta Force, like special forces, used explosives and automatic gunfire during the during the blaze, the, the final uh, confrontation there. And that, that directly led to the deaths of a lot of the women and children who were hiding in a bunker. Many of them in there, in there, in there were found. Uh, they had been, they had taken their own lives, and they were, you know, wearing gas masks and such. And again, at the time, the narrative, and, and a strong part of the narrative, has always just been that David Koresh was this uh, apocalyptic cult leader, and he he apparently did really believe that you know Babylon was coming and that they were the godly you know defenders of the faith and that the uh, the evil government was going to come and try to wipe them out and that they had to fight it out and that they they had a religious obligation to do so now there was odd uh sexual arrangements amongst the davidians as well David Koresh either really believed or at least had his followers convinced that it was God's will that he sleep with all their wives and daughters and whatnot. And he fathered children with his male male followers' wives. And allegations of, call it pedophilia, were complicated by the fact that 
you know, Texas, this is in Texas, obviously, Waco, uh, the state law is something like, I remember seeing the interview with the uh, uh, Texas Ranger saying that they had investigated the Davidians in the past for this because David Koresh was maybe having sex with teenage girls that were the children of some of his followers. The problem is, in Texas, the age of consent is like 14 with parental you know, consent, so the parents believed in this and they were okay with it. So the law can't really do anything about it, right? And I remember this narrative being pumped up because it's it's a little creepy to, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a typical cult thing. Jim Jones kind of did it. A lot of cults do this uh, kind of sexual thing that always gets involved. But there was no, there were no laws necessarily being broken in this particular instance uh, or in that particular way. And the initial search warrant was actually for uh, to search for machine guns, uh, illegally modified machine guns, or machine guns owned without a tax stamp. So, in some sense, this is a it was an investigation into tax fraud. And it was claimed that the Branch Davidians were illegally assembling or modifying weapons to that are meant to be semi-automatic. That means one bullet per trigger pull and turn them into machine guns. So, you know, versus... Okay? And because of some of the confusion in terms here, there's, there's a lot of confusion between, like... You have an automatic pistol, which is semi-automatic. You have semi-automatic as a term. You have assault rifle. You have assault weapon. And you have machine gun. So when you're searching for these terms, they they get all muddled and confused, and they really shouldn't. But it, I, I was unable to determine whether or not they really, they ever found uh, these uh, alleged machine guns modified or purchased or whatever. I, I I was unable to determine whether they actually found these things. And it was alleged that the Branch Davidians were also making uh, hand grenades and explosives. And those weren't used in the gun battle with the ATF, so that seems kind of strange. It was also It was also kind of claimed that the Davidians were, like, prepared for and to ambush the ATF, right? Like, that they all had guns at the ready kind of thing. And and it it seems as though, from my viewings and whatnot, that that's not really the case, that the the Davidians weren't necessarily, like, you know, uh, ready to go to war. They just kind of reacted. You know, they see their dogs getting shot. They see David Koresh himself was shot in the initial you know, exchange of gunfire. And so it, it kind of seems obvious that the the narratives that existed at the time, like the narratives I used to believe, don't necessarily hold up anymore. Like they like there's there's a lot of uncertainty in the claims about the the unfolding of events as well as the circumstances around the ultimate end to this conflict. And it's, there's, there are many lessons here 
one of which is I feel like uh, if your your religious leader starts doing creepy sex stuff, you should probably uh, start looking for the exit. And yet, at the same time, that's their you know the Mormons practice polygamy and that kind of thing. It's it is a First Amendment right for you to practice your religion, and if your religion involves kind of sexual, uh, you know, romantic relations or whatever, that is protected. That's not illegal, and that's not why the ATF were there. And in some of the congressional hearings that followed, you have people like this uh, Senator Chuck Schumer from... Uh, Florida, I think, and I, I think I hate this motherfucker just because of his his statements about this incident are just are like I I find them unacceptable. Uh, there was testimony from a young girl uh, named Carrie Jewell who claimed that uh, David Koresh sexually assaulted her when she was ten years old. Now that would be you know, illegal, and that would be a sex crime. But I believe that her testimony has since been discredited and is also basically irrelevant. If you're going to use gun crime laws as a means to get a warrant to raid a residence, you, in order to, if you're doing that in order to, uh, uh, further a pedophilia investigation like that's not how law works right like you would have to have a warrant for that because that's bad enough the pedophilia charges or the sexual assault rape charges that would need to be enough and then you would arrest david koresh for that right not raid the compound with all these guys and gunfire and you know ATF agents were just kind of shooting through windows and things and there were helicopters and all this stuff and Chuck Schumer in these hearings like you know pointed to the testimony of Carrie Jewell and was you know kind of demonizing David Koresh and he he only he has a point in a moral way yes yeah that, that that's bad but not in a in a way that's relevant to the uh, federal law enforcement agency actually acting in the situation, right? I don't know. He was just he was he was kind of flippant, and and he kind of claimed like an NRA conspiracy, you know, in this situation because they they were going after assault weapons and all of this stuff. I, I, he just seems like a jerk. He just totally seems like a jerk. So, Janet Reno, though, you know, she was kind of handed this situation after it had already started, and there are, you know, there were orders issued up and down the chain of command, and it's just odd that they chose to prosecute the siege the way that they did. You know, they they were aware of David Koresh, they were aware of his teachings, they were aware of kind of the kind of the structure of the the compound at Mount Carmel. And they chose to kind of antagonize and 
put pressure on David Koresh and, you know, cut off the water and the power and they they became the army of Babylon that that uh, Koresh had been prophesizing. They They became it. And then it's no surprise then that they kind of played out the script. And whether they started the fire or whether the ATF or FBI started the fire becomes kind of irrelevant because they're the ones who forced the confrontation. They forced it at the beginning and they forced it all the way to the end. And there is another lesson here, of course, which is that the, you know, the ATF, you would assume, <laughs> uh, would have come prepared for a raid on a, on a building they knew had, they, they were gun dealers, the, the branch of Indians. They were in the business of buying and selling guns. They went to gun shows. They were licensed gun dealers. They knew that they had a bunch of guns. And yet after about 45 minutes of gunfire, the ATF were forced to withdraw because they were out of ammo. So the lesson partially there is that the 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 feds can have their match met, right? They might have helicopters and they might have all this stuff, but unless you're willing to just drop artillery on a building or whether you're just prepared to, you know, rush it and just kill everybody, there's no the well-armed group of people, right, who are committed to resisting can overcome, what, 70 agents who are alleged, who are trained. And these agents particularly were trained uh, at a military base. I, I think it was Fort Hood. I don't, I don't recall exactly. There's a lot of information in uh, an old Duder's head here. But... Um, they were initially trained because they said that they were going to raid a meth lab. But the, the Branch Davidians were not cooking meth. So again, there's like this duplicity on the part of the ATF. They were antagonistic. They, you know, they shot the dogs. That's kind of standard police procedure. But uh, they drove tank. They drove the tanks over the cars of the Branch Davidians. And they circled the place and... Uh, it it was all just very it's not handled well and in relation to Janet Reno again this was before her tenure but Waco relates to uh, another incident that happened in uh, Ruby Ridge it's called Ruby Ridge Idaho 1992 and uh, Randy Weaver who was a bit of an unsavory character himself uh, he had some connections to uh, uh, white supremacist groups and stuff, and he it seems like he was kind of entrapped into making a sawed-off shotgun for an undercover agent. Uh, I don't know why these agents are tricking people into making illegal weapons when there are real people making illegal weapons that you could just go find, but this is what they were doing. And he, if I recall right, it's like Randy Weaver was arraigned in a federal court, and then he was released on bond or whatever. He went back to his mountaintop home in Idaho and then hit out. And marshals, uh, U.S. marshals kind of were surveilling him. And there was a botched uh, confrontation on a trail leading down from the house. And 
uh, ATA or a, a marshal stepped out of the woods, shot their dog. Weaver's 14-year-old son saw the agent shoot the dog. He shoots the agent. Agent, Another agent shoots the son. Uh, a friend of Weaver's family shoots at the agents. And they all the remaining members flee back to their, their cabin. While they're holed up in their cabin, uh, FBI sharpshooters are brought in and they're surrounding and surveilling the place and... They apparently had orders that kind of like if you see a armed adult or something, like you should shoot them. And an FBI sharpshooter named Lon Horiyuchi was, uh, remember this was really just a few months before the Waco siege began, shot uh, Vicki Weaver, Randy Weaver's wife. She was standing in the door of the house holding a ten-month-old, holding her ten-month-old baby, and Lon Horiyuchi shot her in the chest. And she was killed. Now, eventually, uh, after about 10 days, uh, outside negotiators were allowed to approach the, the, the home. And they were able to talk Randy Weaver out with his family. And they you know, were in, went into custody and eventually won a civil suit against the federal government for the misconduct of some of these agents. And that's one that's one way to end the siege, right? And then, so we'll go back to Waco. Now, there's another connection here, not just the kind of circumstances, but Lon Horiuchi, the FBI sharpshooter, was also present at Waco. And you wonder what what's going on with an agency that has a sharpshooter kill an unarmed woman holding a child and then a few months later put plop them down in another tense, you know, standoff with a group of people who were more heavily armed and there were more women and more children, right? Just it's just kind of fishy or it or it's at least irresponsible, right? It's at least negligent. And this then uh, ties to the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, April 19th of 1995, Timothy McVeigh set off a fertilizer truck bomb. At least that's what some people think. There's conspiracy theories abounding about that as well. But uh, about front of the uh, federal building in Oklahoma City, and 168 were killed, including children. Now... The anniversary date, April 19th, is not a coincidence. Uh, McVeigh was sympathetic to both Randy Weaver and uh, and the Branch Davidians. And to get back to to Waco for a second, of course, it's it, it's it's such a mess. Like I don't. I don't like the idea of these, you know, call it religious cults. You know, I mean, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of Jonestown, okay? I'm, I'm putting my foot down about it. But I'm not a fan of these uh, apocalyptic cults and, and these, it seems like groups of people who've been mind controlled, right? And we all like to think we're sort of smarter than that, we're better than that, and 
that these people are crazy or they're just dumb, easily controlled or manipulated. And in some sense, that all of that could be true. However, we have a First Amendment and religious protections in the United States for a reason. Because you cannot be compelled to practice a religion, but you can't be discouraged either. You know, you you have your rights to a First and Second Amendment in this case, and you, you have those rights, and they are supposed to be protected by law and to be respected and observed by especially the federal government. And you have a case where in the media, in the public, and even by like Chuck Schumer the in the uh, House of Representatives uh, uh, hearings that they had, that asshole is, you know, bringing up the child sexual abuse stuff that has, again, nothing to do with issuing a warrant. It has nothing to do, it had nothing to do with the warrant that was being served. If they wanted to investigate them for that, they needed to do that as its own investigation, not use weapons as an excuse to also investigate that. Like, that's not how law works. But just because they had, you know, uh, maybe sexual practices amongst each other, as the Branch Davidians did, maybe Chuck Schumer does too, I don't know. But uh, just because they do that, that's not illegal, right? And it is part of their religious practices. And just because they want to live segregated, same thing. They want to live in their compound, that's fine. That's It's totally legal for them to do that. might be unorthodox. In some sense, it could be immoral or unethical for David Koresh to be fathering children with other men's wives. You know, I, I don't know right? But they they were believers. They believed in this. And many of them, they willingly stayed. They didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay in the compound. Even when David Crush was letting groups of people go, children and stuff, they stuck by him. They remained faithful, you know, literally to him as as like the reincarnation of Jesus or you know, I don't, I don't know all the specifics of their their kooky religious stuff, but again, as a as as a non-believer myself, it's just kind of it just seems incredibly destructive and wasteful. Obviously, right? Like none of this really needed to happen, and yet it's not purely on the part of the Branch Davidians to make that happen. It's also on the part of the Feds, and. It seems, again, it seems as though the general vibe of, like, if you watch some of these, I'll include the playlist here with some documentaries and stuff. If you if you see the vibe of, like, the ATF after this raid, the, after the initial raid, it's it seems very antagonistic. It seems very vengeful. They were fought to a standstill and were forced to withdraw by civilians armed with civilian weaponry and they were they were willing to fight back they fought back effectively apparently and the ATF when they they were out of ammunition the branch davidians could have counterattacked you know and and wiped them out and so they set about stomping 
on the Davidians. And it just seems, and it's easy to do this. People have been doing this ever since. It's easy to paint a conspiratorial narrative. Like I said, there are people who claim the military was involved, and there are uh, like infrared aerial videos of the final uh, breaking of the siege and the fire that show some very, very unsettling things. It looks like, uh, it looks like maybe uh, agents are infiltrated up really close to the compound, and they're shooting into the compound with you know, automatic weapons, and the women and children are hiding in this bunker, and there's you know CS gas is just pumping in, and it doesn't seem as though they wanted to peacefully resolve this conflict, this uh, siege. It seems as though they wanted to to send a message. And it's not just about, you know, if you, you bring in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City bombing, it's not just about the Davidians. It's about how it looks uh, in the media. It looks like the government the federal government, burned women and children alive, right? And that's what Timothy McVeigh thought. But he didn't just think that for no reason. There's, it's, it's, it's not that hard to get to that perspective due to a, re- a myriad of issues that, you know, are doctrine and uh, ATF oversight and, and all of this stuff. But it goes up the chain, and it goes to Janet Reno. It goes to Bill Clinton, who was president at the time. And it goes even to Hillary Clinton, by some people's uh, claims, that she pressured this as the kind of secondary commander-in-chief. And uh, Vince Foster, is tie- he, he committed suicide, and it's alleged that he committed suicide due to his involvement in Waco and relating to guilt uh, related to the deaths of these women and children. And, God, like, it's just such a... Like, again, the, the whole story, it's kind of like Jonestown in a sense, that it's it's very negative and uh, there's a lot of deaths involved. But it's and it's an important story for a myriad of different reasons. You know, David Koresh, creepy cult guy, sure, uh, apocalyptic stuff, and I'm your savior and everything else, and people bought into that. You know, they let him fuck their wives. They believed it that much. And then at the same time, you have a kind of demonization of this group from the outside, right? From, you know, from the obvious the testimonies and things as well as government misconduct, uh, government overreach, uh, an authoritarian kind of attitude and mentality. You know, we're going to break into your home and we're going to arrest people, we're going to shoot your dogs, and you're just supposed to take it. And people don't, people don't want to. <laughs> they don't want to take it. The Davidians didn't want to take it. They uh, They fought back. And... This is part of why people fight so hard for the Second Amendment. Because 
a group of armed, committed citizens were able to stop a highly organized, you know, government strike force and force them to retreat. And, you know, this. so Janet Reno, again, she passed away November 7th. She didn't see the election. She didn't see the 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 ultimate rise of Donald Trump to the the office of the presidency and the result of this election I've been following online the social media and everything it there are liberals and democrats who have lost their minds they think that there's going to be death camps and and death squads and I I don't know. I've seen just crazy stuff that slavery is going to come back and we're going to put black people back in chains. I I'm not kidding. And what they don't understand is that if the feds tried to do something, if 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 the military tried to do it, I don't know who they think is going to do this, but the if the military and the ATF and the FBI and the local law enforcement were all trying to do this all at the same time they would be met by heavy resistance in the form of armed citizens saying hell no to that, and there would be gunfire, and it would be like a civil war. And the feds know this now. Right? They went up against Randy Weaver, and they killed a child and a woman. They went up against the Davidians, and the Davidians killed, what did I say, six and four? killed six and or killed four and injured 16 and then call Timothy McVeigh a counterattack you know 168 killed so the lessons are there for everyone who wants to look if you actually want to look and see what that violence looks like and what the sort of the tone and the environment and you know what what the media looks like when they handle these things and how it gets handled afterward in law and in the congressional hearings and how socially it's received because whether you know the know the real kind of story of Waco or not You've probably heard of Waco. You've probably heard of maybe Branch Davidians. You've probably heard of David Koresh. And you just kind of think of it as a crazy cult. And they, you know, they killed themselves. Because you're allowed to, you're, you, you allow yourself to not know the specifics. To not know the details. To not analyze your, the relationship that, this event and others have with law enforcement, with government oversight, overreach, and, you know, our relationship with state power and this kind of tricky balance that we try to strike with law and order. So I think I think I said it right. I think I I think I did it did it justice. I think I said what I meant. I think I said what I meant on this one. 
uh kyle style podcast uh head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash kyle style design pick up some of my original artwork on prints and mugs and shirts and all that good stuff and i get a portion of the proceeds or head over to the gofundme page throw me a couple of dollars i really appreciate it because i am supported by listeners like you so yeah uh waco janet reno uh so long, Florence, Florence Henderson, the mom from Brady Bunch, if you don't know. And Fidel Castro, uh, good riddance, I think. But, uh, yeah, things are changing. They're shifting around, and it seems like we kind of turned a corner here and there. You know, it seems like some of the, sometimes these people pass away. Somebody dies, and they're a key, maybe historical figure, and it's kind of just like, wow, things keep moving, you know. And there are, there will be new heroes, there will be new monsters, they're out there right now, they just haven't become as iconic as maybe some of these figures have become, and it's, uh, as with the previous generation, it's up to us to ask the hard questions, uh, take, accept the hard answers, and keep our eyes peeled for the demagogues and the the monsters and we'll try to keep this world under control and keep everything moving forward right keep on carrying the fire in the words of cormac mccarthy all right thanks for listening bye